evening, everyone. Welcome to Lake Effect Church. It's good to be with all of you tonight that are joining us in person. Those that are at home, thank you for joining us and being part of our service tonight. We're glad to celebrate tonight with you and to reflect on Good Friday and the meaning of Good Friday. Before we get started, for those of you at home, just want to let you know um, on our website or probably if you're watching Facebook Live, there will be a link for our sermon notes kind of the uh, scriptures that I will be reading tonight. So you might want to find those. Also tonight, we are going to be doing communion. So if you are at home and you're a follower of Jesus and you want to participate in communion with us, I would urge you maybe go to your kitchen, maybe find a, maybe you got a little glass of grape juice or just tap water would work as well and maybe a little piece of a cracker. If you are with us in our sanctuary tonight, in the middle of the room there is a, a table that does have the disposable cup with juice and a little wafer on top as long with the sermon outline or the, the scripture outline. So I'd encourage you to get that. So again, thank you for joining us tonight. Tonight's a little bit of a different night. There's no music. There's no big production tonight. It's going to be a quiet night, kind of an intimate night that we are going to reflect on the last Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. We're going to spend some time together reading some verses together I'll share a few thoughts, and at the, then we'll have communion service in the middle of the message, and then at the end, Jeremy's going to come up and read for us part of our devotional that's been going along with our wreath and blow out the last candle. And what we're going to do tonight is just, um, however you want to finish the service, Jeremy will end by praying and do a benediction. And if you want to stay in the auditorium and pray or meditate, you may do that as long as you want. The rest of us will just walk out when we're ready to and we'll just dim the lights in the church for a time of reflection, if that's what you care to do. So please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, on such an important evening in our church calendar, a time for us to reflect and remember your goodness and your grace and your mercy to reflect and remember that you sent your son to this earth to die in our place, to take our guilt and our shame and our punishment. And we come tonight, Lord, to say thank you. And also to remember what Jesus did for us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in this service, that you'd be glorified, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us tonight for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, thank you for joining us tonight on this kind of a quiet night when we just reflect on Passover. On Sunday, we're going to celebrate. Sunday's going to be a fun service, and many of you have heard me talk last week in the service. For the next seven weeks, we're going to have fun, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to go through seven weeks of gratitude and thanking God for what he has done in our life. But tonight, it's going to be quiet. We want to reflect and we want to remember what Jesus has done in our life. Tonight, we want to reflect on Passover. Some of you know the meaning of Passover from when the Israelites were back in Egypt. For many years, the nation of Israel would celebrate the Passover with their family and friends, and they would share a meal together it would be kind of a quiet meal when they would reflect and they would remember how good God was to their ancestors and how he got them out of the nation of Egypt and how he got them across the Red Sea and got them into the Promised Land. 
In the words of Paul, he told the Israelites, the the early Christians, to remember what God had done for you. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to start our service tonight on the evening before Jesus' death. We're going to start our evening when the disciples were with Jesus in the upper room. And they were gathered together to celebrate Passover with Jesus. So join me as I read from John 13, verse 1 through 17. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that his father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around, that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Have you ever sat down with your Bible with a plan to read through it, and you get to parts of the Bible, and you're like, it just is hard to understand. Or maybe you think it just doesn't make sense and you're reading your Bible with all good intentions. You really want to understand what the text is saying, but you have a hard time understanding how it relates and what is going on and how it's going to work out in the future. Even though you have all the good intentions and the desire to read your Bible really well, it gets a little confusing at times. And you kind of start to wonder sometimes, is everybody else catching on, but I'm not figuring it out. I kind of wonder if that was the experience the disciples were having the night when they were celebrating Passover with Jesus. I wonder if they were participating in Passover thinking, this doesn't really make sense what is happening. They all came to that room that night with great expectations. Many of the disciples of Jesus had probably been participating in Passover meals since they were maybe babies, toddlers. A lot of his disciples would remember a Passover meal. It won't be a surprise that the disciples had spent Passover the prior two years with Jesus. But suddenly they're doing a Passover meal and things seem a little bit different. It's not like they did it before. 
And sometimes when things are a little different, it kind of throws you off a little bit, and you sit back and say, this doesn't make any sense. I think some of us have experienced that a lot in the last year. A lot of things have changed in the world, have changed in the structure of how we relate to people and hang out with people and go do stuff with people to the point we it's just it's, it's hard. It's a little confusing. You don't know how to interact because it's different. See, I often wonder if that's how Peter felt that night when he stopped Jesus from washing his feet. Sort of the feeling of, I'm not really sure what you're doing, so I'm just going to tell you to stop because I'm uncomfortable with it. And tonight is different. Jesus is definitely doing something different. He's saying things that weren't said in the prior Passover, and he's doing something radically different. John tells us in verse 4 that Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet. That was not expected by anybody in that room. I mean, you see what Jesus did. He took off his robe, so he's left wearing probably just a long white T-shirt. That's what a servant would wear. And the disciples are thinking, mate, you're, you're, you're my master. You're my rabbi. You're my teacher. You're the son of God. And why are you dressed like a servant? Why are you taking the humble position of a servant? And again, I think sometimes when things don't make sense, we kind of resist a little bit. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. And that's what Jesus said to Peter in verse 17. He said, Peter, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Jesus is about ready to wash Peter's feet in this beautiful act of service and love and devotion. And once again, Peter says, no, I don't want you to do it. It's kind of a surprise thinking that Peter's been with Jesus for the last three years. He's seen Jesus do miracles. He's seen the compassion of Jesus. And suddenly when Jesus is doing something just a little bit different, he's saying, nope, I don't want to have any part of that. I mean, you could try to defend Peter and say, well, maybe Peter's thinking, you know, Jesus, you, you, you're, the, you're the teacher, you're the rabbi. You shouldn't do that position. I should do it for you. But Peter doesn't stop Jesus and say, let me do it for you. He doesn't do that. Instead, Peter just kind of resists what Jesus is doing that night. Jesus came to serve, and he's calling his disciples to serve as well. And it was really different. And I think the question that we have when we read this text, when we look at Peter, you think, why is he doing that? And you wonder, too, who else would do that? You know, when I think about it, I think, you know, I probably would have done the same thing as Peter. Because sometimes when things are unexpected, my reaction is, you know, I don't like that. I want it to go back to the way it was before. Or this is making me uncomfortable, so I wish we could do it a little bit different. Or what Jesus is proposing to the disciples is starting to seem a little bit inconvenient. And I really don't want to do that. And sometimes when things are so different, I find myself complaining because I don't like the new process. When you watch Peter's reaction, it does make you wonder, how often have I done that? How often when God is trying to serve me, when he's trying to take care of me, do I resist what he's doing because I'm like, it's a little bit different. 
And so tonight as we participate in communion, I think it's important for us to say, God, I really don't understand what's happening, but I trust you. I trust you that someday this will all make sense. I think it's important to listen to the words that Jesus said to Peter. You don't understand what is happening right now, but someday it will make sense. See, Jesus was simply encouraging Peter, trust me. It's awkward. It's difficult right now, but you've got to trust me. I love the words in the passage of Luke 22, verse 15, where it says, Jesus said to his disciples when he was in the Passover meal, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, I love those words of Jesus where he says to his disciples, I am very eager to eat this meal with you. I'm very eager. Jesus really wanted to spend that night with his disciples. Jesus knew what was, gonna head, was, what was ahead of him. But he said to his disciples, I'm eager to spend this time with you. That's kind of an encouraging word that Jesus would say to his disciples. He knows in the next few hours that his disciples are going to face a lot of difficult situations. That they're going to be scared, they're going to be overwhelmed by the next few hours and the next few days and the next few years. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I love you so much, I want to spend the last remaining time I have alive with you. I just wonder if Jesus is saying the same thing to each of us tonight. I'm eager to spend this night with you. I'm eager to spend the night with you in your homes or wherever you're watching. I'm eager to be with you because I'm your only hope. I'm your source of comfort, and I'm your source of encouragement. I don't think the disciples really understood what was happening during that Passover meal, but they participated in the meal because they trusted God. Just like their ancestor trusted God to get them out of Egypt, the, the, the disciples were going to trust Jesus at that moment, and they are going to participate in the Passover meal. So I think tonight it's important as we take communion together that we say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I trust you. I trust you that you're going to work everything together that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense right now. So let me find my cup. So if you are going to participate with us, we do have these little disposable cups. And they should have probably told you to start getting the top off a little while ago. <laughs> because you're supposed to take this little cellophane off the top. And then there's a little wafer. And if you get that out, you can take that. Let me read the words of Jesus from Mark 14, verse 22. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
So the first thing that we are going to do is eat the bread, which is a symbol of Jesus' body that was given to us. A symbol of Jesus' body that was bruised and crushed and beaten for us. So we take this together. If you're all getting your little cellophane off. Should have had a PowerPoint on how to do that. And the next we have the cup, which is a symbol of Jesus' blood that was poured out for our salvation so that we could be forgiven. So let's drink this together. I often wonder if after they took communion, if the disciples thought, I wonder if we can go now. I wonder if we can leave. They heard enough what Jesus was saying of someone was going to betray him. They heard Jesus talk about his death, and I wonder if that moment they just thought, I wonder if we can just go home and just avoid everything. But as you know, they were just getting started. They would remember, if they remembered and reflected back on their ancestors that were in Egypt, they knew that after the Passover, they still had to cross over into the Promised Land. That it wasn't over just by celebrating the Passover, but now they had to cross over. See, last week we talked about the significance of Palm Sunday. We talked about the significance of how the the Israelite and the Jewish families would have to come into Jerusalem during Passover week and how they would have to each bring that perfect, blameless, spotless lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of their families. And you can just imagine the, the, some scholars say between 200 and 300,000 individuals and maybe more were coming into Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice of a lamb for the sins of their family for the past year. It was a busy time in that city. And one of the things that the father of the house would do is they would take their little individual lamb and they would make sure that their name tag was on that lamb because they wanted to make sure that their name was written on the lamb that would be sacrificed for their sins. And they wanted to make sure if that little lamb got away from the family or got mixed up with another family that their name was written on that lamb because they knew when that lamb was sacrificed it would pay for the sins of their family. It does bring up a good question. How does Jesus become the perfect spotless lamb of God? And how does Jesus' death really pay for our sins? How do our sins go on Jesus? Because Jesus had to do more than just pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus had to become sin for us. He had to take on our guilt and our condemnation and our shame. Jesus simply couldn't just go pay the debt for our sin. He had to become guilty. If you use the illustration of if I got a speeding ticket and had to pay a fine, Jesus simply couldn't go and pay for the fine. He could do that and pay the penalty, but I still would be guilty. That wasn't good enough. Jesus was going to go beyond that, and he was going to not only pay for the penalty, but he was also going to become the guilty one. But in order for that to happen, something is going to happen. This miraculous needs to happen. 
See, a just judge is going to have to come in and say the guilt and the shame of my sin can be transferred onto Jesus. My sin and my guilt and my shame has to go on Jesus completely. That's the only way that I can become innocent. A judge is going to have to transfer all of my crimes onto another person. See, the last time the Jews had to offer a lamb for their sacrifice was the same day that Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus became the final Passover lamb. We know from Scripture in John 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, it says in John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, when a person was crucified in the first century, an official notice of all the crimes that they have committed would have been placed over their head. Anybody who was crucified on a cross, they would put what we would call a rap sheet on top of the cross above them. It would list out every sin that they had done, every crime that they have committed. It would list everything that they have done wrong, every offense that they had done. And after they would die on the cross, they would go, wrong, they would go to that rap sheet and they would stamp on it the Greek word meaning, it is finished. In other words, they would say, the crime has been paid. See, what no one saw that day when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what God was doing. See, I think a lot of people the day Jesus was on the cross, they were wondering, where is God? Why would God allow this to happen? I think the disciples were wondering, why did God allow Jesus to go to the cross? And where is God? Because Jesus really needs God right now. See, the truth is, you and I should have been the ones hanging on the cross for our own sins. But Jesus was on the cross in our place. See, while Jesus was on the cross, God was doing something very significant behind the scenes. God was working on my behalf that day. God was working on your behalf that day. See, since the charges of Jesus, the charges against Jesus were not valid, God being the just judged, transferred all the charges that I was guilty of and put them on Jesus. The rap sheet that I carry or that you carry, God took that sheet and he placed it on Jesus. Paul describes it this way in Colossians 2 verse 13. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross. See, that's what God was doing that day when everybody was wondering what's going on. He was taking every charge that you and I had ever committed or commit in the future, and he was placing it all on Jesus. That's the way my sins can be forgiven. But not only my sins forgiven, but that's the only way I could become innocent and receive the righteousness of Christ is if he, he took all of my sin and my guilt and my shame. And see, that's why Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. In other words, he declared that my sins were paid in full by his own death. That's the power of Jesus' words, it is finished. He was declaring that you and I were innocent. Listen to what John says in John 19.30. It said, God made him 
who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that's why Jesus is the only way to God. That's why there's no other plan of salvation. That's why there's no other way to be reconciled before God. Because God is the only one that can transfer your sin and your shame and your guilt and your penalty onto Jesus. See, the heart of the gospel is that while we were dead in our sins, God was making a way for us to be reconciled to him. But not only does God make a way for us to be reconciled to him, but God also gives each of us the gift of grace and faith so we can believe and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's why it's the only way to find salvation is through Jesus Christ and the atoning work of what God has done for us. See, the great exchange between Jesus' innocence and our guilt can only be accomplished by God. Without Jesus, every single person would have to pay for their own sins and to pay for their own guilt and their shame. But the problem is it would take an eternity to try to pay back your own sins while you're separated from God. Someone has to pay for your sins. You can pay for your sins for eternity, separated from God in hell, or Jesus can pay for your sins. See, that's the beauty of God's gift of grace and faith that he gives to us so you can believe and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As we wrap up tonight, Jeremy's going to come up in a couple minutes and read us the final reading from our Advent I think it's important that remember, we remember Jesus' words that the Apostle Paul wrote when he was serving communion of Jesus, said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus has done. That's why we're here tonight. That's why you're watching from home, to remember what Jesus has done. Why would he tell us to remember? I think... Because sometimes it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget the feeling that the disciples had of just being out of sorts, of uncertain of what's going to happen in the future, feeling uncertain how events are happening right now. And when events are happening that we're uncomfortable with, we have a tendency to just reject what God may be doing in our life. And we have a tendency maybe not to trust God like we should when things are unusual. I think it's important to remember the God's words to Peter when, when he said, you don't understand what's happening right now, but someday you will. And I think it's important for us to remember the beautiful transaction that God did for us. That while we were dead in our sins, God made a way for our sins to be transferred onto Jesus. That's a remarkable transaction that happened. I think sometimes people think God's not fair. God's not just. Maybe from Jesus' point of view, you might say, yeah, that doesn't look fair or just. That it all had to go on Jesus. God was kind and gracious and full of mercy to each one of us when he transferred our rap sheet 
onto Jesus so that it could be stamped, it is finished. That's the kindness of God that he took our sin on himself so he could pay for our sins. And that's what I want us to remember. Because times are tricky right now. Times continue to be tricky. And I think God is saying to each of us, the words he said to his disciples, I'm eager to spend this time with you. I'm eager to be with you. Why? Because God knows that Jesus is our only hope. And we have to have our trust and our confidence in Jesus built up so it's stronger than ever right now. So tonight is... We leave after Jeremy excuses us. Let's remember what God has done for us. So tonight we will leave the sanctuary after Jeremy has closed. And again, as I said, you can stay in here as long as you like. This was the darkest day in history. The Son of God himself was killed by people who weren't satisfied simply to reject him. They couldn't stand to have him exist. They thought they could put God out of existence. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. You stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful, first of all, just for this day you've given us and the mercies that you've poured out on us just for today. God, as, as we gather tonight, we gather 
specifically to remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. God, there's just, there's no words or prayers that can, that can give any kind of true meaning to just the simplicity of thank you for what you've done. We were hopeless and now we have hope. All because, all because you sent your son and he was obedient. Thank you, Father. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us, that you would mercifully help us to not just say thank you, but to act, to act it out, to act thankfully, to live in obedience to you. So, Father, we just, we give you this night, we give you these meditations and this sermon. We ask that you let us, let it sink in. You would open our hearts to your truth. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight and for being online. Um, I just want to leave leave everyone with a with a scripture out of John chapter 10 verse 17 this is Jesus talking and he says for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again no one takes it from me but i lay it down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I just want us to just think about that in anticipation for Sunday. This, this was not a situation where Jesus' life was taken from him. Jesus laid it down willingly, and he did it for you, for each one of us. He laid it down. He wants to take your sin. He desires it <laughs> to, the, to the point where he laid his life down. So thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. And um, we're just looking forward to Sunday and seeing everyone. Thank you to everyone online. Have a great night.